The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Squawbox as the sun rises over the city of London. These are your headlines. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is admitted to intensive care as his uh, virus symptoms worsen. The Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab is standing in as leader, saying the government will continue his work. There's an incredibly strong team spirit behind the Prime Minister and making sure that we get all of the plans that the Prime Minister has instructed us to deliver to get them implemented as soon as possible. The Dow jumps more than 1,600 points, bouncing back from recent losses with retail stocks leading gains as coronavirus numbers in the worst-hit US states begin to flatten. Reports suggest OPEC producers and Russia could agree on output cuts if the US also reduces production. But President Trump says American drillers are already playing their part. Cuts are automatic if you're a believer in markets. I can guarantee you there's a cut from pre this condition. And Eurozone finance ministers meet for a key euro group on the bloc's financial rescue efforts. But disagreement over corona bonds could once again derail the talks. This is the German Chancellor Angela Merkel vows European solidarity. Everyone has been affected the same way and that is why it has to be in everyone's interest and it's in Germany's interest that Europe responds to this challenge with strength. So, very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the programme. Regular viewers will, of course, realise we are an hour later than we would normally start the programme this morning. But needs as must. We are here now and we're going to update you on all the important business news stories and the market developments overnight. And none more important uh, than at this time we focus on the well-being of the British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson has been moved to intensive care after his coronavirus symptoms worsened. He was admitted to hospital on Sunday after 10 days with the virus. Downing Street says Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab will deputise when necessary. Well, Steve is outside St Thomas's Hospital, uh, where the Prime Minister is currently located. And Steve, what do we know then about the Prime Minister's current condition? Well, we know what Downing Street has told us, Jeff. And of course, it was only 24 hours ago that I was standing here and the message from Downing Street that these were purely precautionary measures and that the prime minister uh, remained in charge of the government in contact with colleagues and officials. But why don't I go through the chronology uh, of the whole Boris Johnson coronavirus infection? Because on the 27th of March, of course, it was then that the prime minister tested positive for coronavirus. And it was only last Friday, the 3rd of April, uh, where we heard heard that he was continuing his self-isolation uh, in his flat in number 11 Downing Street above the uh, the official uh, residence of the Chancellor of the Exchequer uh, because he was still exhibiting symptoms of coronavirus. And then we heard Sunday evening uh, that as a purely precautionary measure, the Prime Minister was being transferred to a central London NHS hospital uh, for monitoring. But again, they were very 
clear to emphasize 24 hours ago that it was purely precautionary. Now, uh, we came down here yesterday believing it was St. Thomas's Hospital here on the south bank of the Thames, which is 1.4 miles away from Downing Street. Uh, that was since confirmed to news organizations. Uh, and even as uh, late as noon yesterday, we heard that Downing Street was insisting that the Prime Minister remained in charge of the country and was still receiving his red box official papers. In fact, the Prime Minister was tweeting just after noon yesterday. Uh, I'm in good spirits uh, and giving great praise to their national health service. Thereafter, uh, things deteriorated and at 7pm we heard uh, that the Prime Minister had been transferred to an intensive care unit uh, and was receiving uh, extra oxygen. Uh, four litres of oxygen, I'm told, uh, was the amount of the Prime Minister received, but he was not on a ventilator. And part of the reason why the Prime Minister was transferred to intensive care, so that a, a ventilator was available if necessary. We understand the Prime Minister was conscious and that, again, Downing Street emphasising this was a precautionary measure. But the gravity of the statement from Downing Street increased over the 24 hours. Uh, they were saying that over the course of Monday, the Prime Minister's condition had worsened as well. Dominic Raab, who is the Foreign Secretary and also the First Secretary of State, uh, added that he was making sure that they would implement the plans of the Prime Minister to defeat coronavirus as soon as possible. Let's hear uh, what the Foreign Secretary and de facto leader of the country at the moment, Dominic Raab, uh, was saying yesterday. The government's business will continue um, and the Prime Minister is in safe hands with a brilliant team uh, at St Thomas's Hospital and the focus of the government will continue to be on making sure at the Prime Minister's direction all the plans for making sure that we can defeat coronavirus and pull the country through this challenge will be taken forward. Now, of course, Boris Johnson previously in good health. I think there have been concerns uh, a while back about his weight. But that aside, he's a tennis player, a keen cyclist, even a jogger when his knees were uh, allowing him to do that as well. But uh, a relatively fit 55-year-old man as well with no previous underlying health conditions. He is being replaced at the moment in terms of the top job by uh, the 46-year-old Dominic Raab, who will de be deputising uh, when and as needed uh, for the Prime Minister. It comes at a time when actually the UK death toll increased another 439 mortalities overnight to 5,373. Uh, actually, as horrific as that figure is, it is a drop of 30% day on day. And there are hopes that in the next week or so, possibly peaking around Easter Sunday on April the 12th, that the UK um, mortalities and infections could start to peak around this mid-April period. We've been hearing from world leaders as well, the likes of Donald Trump uh, and President Emmanuel Macron, both wishing uh, the Prime Minister well. Uh, Donald Trump saying he's a really good fellow. He's something special, strong, resolute, doesn't quit and does not give up as well. And well wishes have come in from across the political spectrum, from his predecessors, the likes of Theresa May and uh, David Cameron, and indeed from the new leader of the Labour Party, uh, Sir Keir Starmer as well. And we understand, of course, that Her Majesty the Queen is being kept in touch with all developments. Jeff, back to you. Steve, thank you. Let's bring in Steen Jakobsen, Chief Economist at Saxo Bank. Steen, a very good morning to you. I think, as Steve points out, we thought of Boris Johnson as relatively healthy, a regular cyclist. He participates in regular sporting activity and he's a relatively young man in his 50s. But I think the speed of the deterioration has taken nearly all of us by surprise here. What implications does that raise about how we think about the enemy, this virus and what it will do to economies going forward? Of course, Boris Johnson is uh, the ultimate public figure being uh, affected by this. And I think it tells the story uh, how hard it is for any family and any person involved in this. 
But of course, in terms of the markets and the politics of the UK, it also raises the question of the uh, succession in, in the UK uh, government. I don't think Rabe is everyone's choice as uh, number two in this crisis situation. It very much tells me, at least, that the UK government is Boris Johnson and Boris Johnson alone. So I think there is a vacuum right now in terms of the response. I think the very muted sort of responses that we see from Rabe that Steve was reporting on is a clear sign that that, that there is something in the in the back rooms of uh, number 10 that needs to be sorted out for future crises. But overall, I think this is uh, very sad for him as a person. I'm sure he will pull through and I hope he will pull through. But, but overall, it's, it's just a, 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 a telling story of how impacted and how everyone in the world is impacted, his, uh, I would say. Yeah, without breaking over the coals too much, Estine, at least uh, we have a government that appears to be listening to the scientific advice and has done all the way through. The chief medical officer, uh, Chris Whitty, is uh, clearly advising the government here. And uh, we do have uh, Nick, uh, Matt Hancock, the health secretary, back from his uh, recent spell of, of uh, coronavirus. Uh, so there is that. But as you point out, there will be some impact uh, on confidence around the government. Having said that, as I look at Sterling this morning, it, it does seem to be getting a bid. Why would that be the case? To be honest, I can't explain that. I think it's it's very concerning overall. And I think the, the weaker dollar, of course, tells some of the stories. Uh, some of the some part of the story here, is, uh, but 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 overall, I, I don't think Sterling really is doing anything. I mean, I think we are looking for 0.3, 0.5 as a big move these days in in Sterling. But you know, Sterling is very very close to the 120 mark that I've had uh, outlined for a long time. And I think in any crisis, the UK always see a weaker Sterling. So I think, and I expect overall that dollar will resume some of its strength. And I think Sterling will follow the other currencies uh, against the dollar, which means that the projection still is that we. Have have a weaker sterling, but not necessarily. I think that is the, the, the bigger point here. Not necessarily reflected in any disbelief in the UK government or, or in John J- Johnson coming back. Uh, you know, that's not what's really driving sterling, in my opinion. Steam, we have two crises developing here. One, of course, is the global pandemic surrounding coronavirus. The other one is the economic crisis as well. And there are plenty of augers of doom for the global economy and lots of parallels, not only with 2009 and 2010, but going right back to the early 1930s as well. How long can the global economy take the kind of measures we're seeing at the moment? Uh, social distancing, isolation, and shutdowns of key parts of the economy. Not very long is the is the quick answer. The longer answer is that I think IMF came out a report that says that every month that we have this social distancing, it costs three percent of GDP uh, overall. So in other words, we have another two three weeks, and we should be able to sort of mitigate that through some of the very very forceful powers that we've seen being released by the governments and the central banks globally. But we we come to a point very very soon, Steve, where we need to decide whether we're going to keep society at a social distancing uh, uh, model or we need to reopen it. I mean, we, we are really, we are talking about an unemployment in the US. I heard this morning, some people mentioned a number of 20%. The highest number of unemployment we've seen historically in the U.S. was 10.7 in 2008. And and I still think the market is totally unprepared for what is coming in terms of when we open up. I mean, market is celebrating that, and, and very rightly so, that we have a flattening out of the curve right now in terms of people being infected. 
But you know, the, the real economic drama will be when we get to the other side of this, because the opening up will take month upon month. Think about it. You and I, Steve, we love going to a game of football. I mean, Will football be open up? Airports, anything where you are in in closed uh, circumstances, it's going to be very difficult to see government allowing that to be open up freely, which means essentially the economy will be running at 60, 70, 80, 90 percent. Even China, and I had a number of chats with my colleagues in China this week. I mean, they say they are 90 percent, but foot traffic, less than 50 percent. Airports, less than 20 percent so you know it's going to take a very very long time and the economic impact is not accounted for in the in in the stock market right now having said that stain let's not get too bearish on where we're going on the infection rate and we'll come back to you in just a moment to talk about the markets because the key point i think and why perhaps we are seeing a little bit of support here in the asian session is that we did not get a new death in the daily count that we're getting out of china and if you take Take a look at some of the footage of key Chinese tourist sites. You will have seen people turning out in their masses to once again take advantage of getting back out onto the streets and beginning to enjoy some semblance of normality in their lives. Is it too early? We will have to wait and see as we chart the development of this virus globally. But that's where we are on the Asian session right now. I just want to point out to you the Chinese uh, markets will have had a, a holiday as well for grave sweeping ceremony. So this is very much a, re- a return to business for the Chinese as they've celebrated Qinming Festival. We do see uh, some strength back in these markets that up 1.3%, the Nikkei up 2% on that fresh stimulus news out of uh, Prime Minister Abe uh, late yesterday. And of course, if you get a 7% jump in the US markets, inevitably, I think you're going to get some follow through here. Uh, the one that's not participating in the upside this morning is Australia. And that has to do with the action the central bank took or rather didn't take the RBA deciding not to go any further on cutting rates, which is perhaps why we've just got the Australian market sitting out of some of the gains we've seen elsewhere. How we set up for the European start of session then? Well, Well, the prospect is that we do get a positive start to the trading session out of Europe. Um, The uh, state of Boris Johnson, notwithstanding, the indications are that we will have nearly uh, 1.5% upside on the FTSE when we begin the trading session. Obviously, there's a little bit of clear water until we get to the start of the European trade here. But I have to tell you, I think last time I looked at the US futures, a little bit uncertain as to whether we will continue the positivity that we saw in the US market yesterday. Anyway, let's squeeze in a quick break. US averages saw amid positive signs on virus numbers in New York. Does the rally have legs? That'll be one of our key questions this morning to all of our strategists and fund managers. And for more on the major moves in the markets around the world, check out the Squawk Box podcast. We'll be back after this. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse.
Welcome back. China has reported zero daily deaths from the virus for the first time since Beijing started releasing numbers for the COVID-19 outbreak back in January. The country did see cases rise by 32 people on April the 2nd, April the 6th, my apologies, bringing the total closer to 82,000. It also recorded 30 asymptomatic cases. The Chinese government started including tests on those showing no symptoms a few days ago. Uh, the US is bracing for what one official is calling, quote, peak hospitalization, peak ICU week, and unfortunately, peak death week. Worldwide, the number of confirmed cases has risen above 1.3 million people, while nearly 75,000 people have died due to the outbreak. France suffered a record daily number of deaths on Monday, but the rate of fatalities in Spain and Italy appears to have slowed. President Trump has hinted at potentially releasing a fresh round of direct payments to Americans in a bid to cushion the impact of the outbreak. Trump said the move is currently under serious consideration, but did not provide further details. He also vowed uh, the first set of payments will get to citizens on time. Uh, Meanwhile, the president urged Americans to remain positive, but warned the outbreak will lead to a difficult period for the country. We're going to have a rough week. We're going to have maybe a rough little more than a week. And but there's tremendous light at the end of that tunnel. I said it last time, said it last night. There's tremendous light at the end of the tunnel. JP Morgan chief Jamie Dimon has warned shareholders to expect a, quote, bad recession that could put their dividend in doubt. For more on that story, go to CNBC.com. So how are we setting up for U.S. futures then after those strong gains we saw for the markets overnight? We've had a little bit of a turnaround in the trend on the futures. Uh, When I came in a couple of hours ago, we were indicated uh, negative for the start of the session, but we've seen some improvement on those numbers. In terms of the overnight trade, let's just pop up the board and give you a look at that. The Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, gained uh, nearly 8% there, 7 and uh, 3 quarters of 1%, with the S&P up 7 and the, da- uh, the Nasdaq up 7.3% here. And what was notable, I think, about the trade uh, last night was how much we saw acceleration in those gains into the close. Steen Jacobson is chief economist at Saxo Bank. Uh, Steen, it did feel like the fear of missing out once again encouraged, whether it was the machines or retail investors, to get back into the market to the close. I suspect the machines rather than the retail, given how it came very close to the end of the session here. But all of this predicated on this idea, it seems, that we are seeing a flattening in the virus curve. I know you're not a believer in this rebound, though. Walk us through what you see. Well, beyond fair to say, I don't believe in the rebound. Actually, we were very constructive at the peak of the crisis because the market was in an existential crisis. And when you are dealing with existentialism, you need to just figure out you can't have depression. What can you have? Infinite government support. And then we always said that 2644, and that's also why we had the big move late in the session yesterday in the S&P, was the 38.2% retracement. We throw that as a very clear demarcation line on bear versus bull. So I think as we broke yesterday, we bought the we broke the 2644 and our before the close, we accelerated through that. And I think tactically, you need to be long the market as long as we stay above the 26.44 line. I'm certainly, as a trader, long 
then, as you say, as an economist, I'm a little bit more skeptical because I think when two, three, two, three weeks from now, when the COVID sort of uh, flattening curve become less of the secondary story, then we have to talk about the economic impact. And one of the few signs we have for future earnings is the dividend futures that trades actively in the CME. If you look at the dividend futures in the CME, they're trading at a 45% discount to where we were when we started the market, barely moving up despite the fact that we rally in these markets. Of course, partly to do with the fact that the high dividend paying companies like banks, utilities, and uh, and, and, and energy companies has, has suspended that dividend. But, but overall, I think the valuation of the market is based on technical levels. So in other words, uh, Jeff, I actually think we could we could trace all the way back to minimum 50% of this move will in which in S&P terms will mean that we will move up to to the to the level of 27 50 2011 2800 even. So tactically long as the trader so uh, yeah, go ahead Steve. Yes, Steen, I'm just going to say what I, I hear from you is the contradiction between you as a strategist and you as an economist. And I wanted to just go into one more level of that in terms of the market perception of the relief package that's coming globally uh, and indeed what can really be done economically as well. Do you see a disparity coming between what is happening in the real economy and what the markets will be predicting that's happening and indeed the flows that will be going into the markets rather than the real economy? Absolutely. And I think the gap between the facts and the evidence we have for what will be coming towards what the market is buying is very, very different. It seems like we are playing to the tunes of Donald Trump that, and, and, and uh, who is he to be the economic expert? I'm, not, I'm sure he's not worse than anybody else, but I'm also certain that he's not better. We have enormous amount of uncertainty. Normally, the market doesn't like uncertainty. We're trading on that. But, um, but also, during the last three weeks, when we were sort of positive on the market, we were told, and again and again, we were naive that we could not believe in government intervention. But I have to go back to the point here, Steve, we were in the biggest crisis you and I and Jeff has seen, and we are all geezers and we have been wrong for a long time. In 2008, 2009, we, got, we went to the brink of, of, of seeing sort of the, the, the fall down on the market. This time we went over the, the cliff and, and we had to have the biggest amount of expansionary policy, infinite control, yield curve control is coming Steve. and more packages are coming as well. I referenced a, a speech that the president made before he was a president in Virginia in August 2016, where he talked about a trillion dollar infrastructure fund as well. Of course, talk of huge multi-trillion dollar infrastructure funds globally is being talked about now. These can work, but they can take a very long time, as we saw in the 30s and other key periods at 1948 onwards with the Marshall Plan as well. What hopes then for a Marshall Plan for the globe, let alone for Europe? Europe is going to be very difficult, and I think the finance meetings, meetings today is only the entree, but but the real meeting we've been the Council of Ministers, we saw Merkel back down. But overall, Europe in a very difficult position, also on the eastern border with, with Hungary's changes to the political system. But in terms of the government bonds, we did try it in 2008, 2009. People forget it. The infrastructure was given to the U.S. states, but the U.S. states did not want to take it up. Uh, so, so it's very difficult to do these global bonds uh, overall. I think it's the right idea. I think to mutualize and, and create some sort of incentive for people to partake in the solution long term. But, you know, Steve, we, we will be back to amortizing these fiscal 
impulses, impulses that, that will be 50, 100 years to pay back uh, as, as we did after World War II. But at least we, 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 we are doing something. And, and in these times, you can be critical of central banks, but I have to give credit to the Federal Reserve to become the lender of last resort. Government less so, as you say, indirectly. I think they need to get the, the, the housing order. Europe needs to step up and they need to step up big. Otherwise, we'll have some disappointment for valuation in Europe later this week. Steen, very briefly then, just putting your trading hat back on. Two key events here, one potentially an oil deal, the other that we get something meaningful from today's Euro group. What do you trade? Are you trading anything? I'm uh, actually, my, my oil analyst, Ulrich Hansen, is very, very negative on the uh, potential for a deal. So we are slightly uh, short the oil story. We are slightly long the European story on the day because simply technically it makes perfect sense. And, and we've seen that the Dutch has come into a storm because they have been too harsh on, on the southern countries. I think there is a show of uh, cooperation and maybe the Boris Johnson on a personal level helps this story today. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.